Real quick, before we get into the show, I wanted to share a new service called Getita that Ken and I have been using that has made us over $10,000 in Amazon reimbursements. The service requires no monthly subscription, and Getita collects a small percentage of the money they recover for you. It takes less than five minutes to set up and works on all Amazon marketplaces. Go to getita.com, G-E-T-I-D-A, and enter promo code FTM400. That's FTM for firing the man 400 to get your first $400 in reimbursements commission free. How much money does Amazon owe you? Welcome everyone to the Firing the Man podcast, a show for anyone who wants to be their own boss. If you sit in a cubicle every day and know you are capable of more, then join us. This show will help you build a business and grow your passive income streams in just a few short hours per day. And now your hosts, serial entrepreneurs, David Shoma and Ken Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to the Firing the Man podcast. On today's episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Reggie Young, a seven-figure e-commerce entrepreneur and exit planning advisor. Reggie was born and raised in Hawaii and served 13 years in the military as an officer. In 2020, he decided to fire the man and travel while working on his business full-time. Within one year, he was able to sell his first Amazon business and reach seven figures. His mission is to help others start, scale, and sell their online businesses. Welcome to the show, Reggie. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Really excited to be on. Absolutely. So first things first, can you talk about your path to becoming an e-commerce entrepreneur? Yeah, sure. So I joined the military when I was 18, listed in the Air Force, and I was a medic. My bosses decided, hey, you'd be a great officer. So they sent me to them the Air Force Academy, which is a military university. There, I've always wanted to get a good degree and kind of make my parents proud. And I, at the time, I really wanted to build the next version of the Iron Man suit. And I thought, hey, if it was ever going to happen, it'd be probably at, at the military university for the Air Force, for the government, and I'll be an engineer. So I decided to try and pursue that. And I found out very quickly that the pace was just too quick for me. And trying to survive a military university, I eventually decided to instead take the number one major at, the, at that school, which was business management. And there I dis- discovered my passion for online business. So at the time, I wanted to be a private in, private equity investment banker because I figured I love all aspects of business. So why not just go after the most amount of money? And after graduating the academy, I was actually selected to be a nuclear missiles officer and was not able to pursue the jobs that I wanted to that most aligned with being an investment banker outside in the real world. And when that happened for me, I had felt like I had sacrificed so much of my career, my my success and happiness to end up in a job that did not feel like the highest version or the highest purpose of what I felt like I should have been doing at the time. And that's when I kind of got into entrepreneurship. I really just wanted to bolster my resume. And so I sourced my first product from China, not having taken a course, trying to rely on my degree, spent thousands of dollars. But like my mom was like my only real customer and I ended up failing. But the best thing that happened from that is I discovered my obsession for entrepreneurship. So I was, it came from like business to being like my passion, my entrepreneurship to becoming my obsession. And that's kind of how I got started. Had that first failure, uh, event, eventually moved into high ticket dropshipping. I did $64,000 in revenue on my first store, was hit with some chargebacks and some types of fraudulent orders and eventually decided, hey, you know, I have a f- like four to five years left on my contract. I know that I want to fire the man, even though I can't because you can't fire when you're in the military and the military owns you. So I decided like, hey, like even though I saw I saw the opportunity with the four-hour work week, right? I saw the opportunity, but I couldn't quit my job. So I decided, let me just go all in the next four years and dedicate every single moment of my free time 
to making this a reality. So that's when I moved into Amazon private labeling, had some success, some failure. Uh, eventually, one year after leaving the military, I was able to, to sell my first business. And since then, I've been trying to scale out and work on fun projects that I enjoy. That's awesome. So I really like a couple of things I want to touch on, Reggie. One thing you said is burn all the ships. And so I don't know if you can see behind me or not. Oh, that's one so my, awesome. One of my favorite quotes here, if you're on YouTube, burn the boats. That's one of my favorite quotes. I, I, I'm really glad you said that. It, you know, it takes a lot of cojones to like, just go, you know, just say, I'm going to do this and there's no looking back. And so that's awesome. So thanks for sharing your story and thanks for your service. Let's dive into, so there's a lot of people listening that want to fire the man. And I think it's it's really important to hear different perspectives and, and, and different experiences on when people do that. And so you had wanted to do it for a long time and you were in a pickle. You couldn't for a while and then you did. Can you dive into it like when you decided, hey, I, I want to fire the man and then, you know, did you have a plan or did you just go right for it or... Any planning and and what can you sp- can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah. So originally, when I first decided, I I legitimately have four to five years left on my contract. When I decided I was going to be an online business person with the financial freedom to do what I want, work on the projects I wanted to. Those four years, I thought to myself, okay, well, I got four years to make an income. So I kind of was like, oh, let me set a budget of like a hundred dollars a month and let me try something super easy and like kind of scale into it. And I realized looking back, I should have gone harder. And it really comes down to like more of like, instead of trying to make some kind of math equation on like, okay, four years, I may be making this much money or, or do this. It's like, make the decision and don't look back. And it doesn't have to be like, is it print on demand? Is it affiliate marketing? Is it Amazon FBA? Is it agency level work? What is it? It's like, to me, it's like I was in so much pain, not having felt like I was on purpose with what I want to do, that that pain personally drove me to make a a decision. And once I made that decision, it's almost like everything kind of fell to the wayside. It, It didn't matter if I was losing money. It didn't matter if I was working more on my business than my, than in my nine to five. So for me, I think looking back, it's just making that decision has to, for me, it was like the core principle that I, that I, I stood on. Because if you, if I stood on any other principle, I found it very shaky and I was kind of like falling here and there and be like, ah, not, it's not really working out. Or like, I don't know what this is for me. It's like, no, like, what do I really want? I don't want to be an Amazon seller. I want to be someone who has the freedom to go where he wants, be around the people he loves. And how do I get there? And it's like, this is how I get there. Okay. That's the decision I'm going to make and I'm going to get there. That's awesome. I really like how, you know, you had give you given yourself uh, like a four year runway of like, hey, I'm going to start small. I'm going to dip my toes and then add to it and build on and learn. I think that that is crucial. I, I never recommend anybody just <laughs> quitting their job and saying, hey, I'm going to go fire the man and go figure it out. And so mm-hmm. I really like how you gave yourself that that roadmap. I think that's that's mm-hmm. really, really smart. Yeah, you um, definitely, you, you don't want to ape in. Like, I guess like the, the younger Gen Z <laughs> would see it as like aping in. Um, and I've seen kind of traveling now for a little over two years. I've seen and I've been to some of the biggest digital nomad hotspots and I've seen people and also heard stories because for four years I was trying to immerse myself in communities like this. I've seen a lot of people try and ape in without having some kind of revenue. And it, the reality is that it, you have so much burning behind you in terms of the cash you're burning without having income. You Then you start operating from a place of scarcity and operating from a place of scarcity that puts you in like a, a state that is really hard to build a business in. So you know, I think even if you're not successful and you don't have the income to quit your nine to five, there are things you can be doing on the side to kind of build out a network, an audience, a small a skill set that will allow you to scale faster 
and give you the confidence, at least that worked out for me to eventually reach that level of success. And what that looked like for me was as I was trying to become a successful Amazon seller, I was at the time consulting on Fiverr. I was consulting on Upwork. I actually found small businesses in my local area. I went to them and I was like, hey, like, you know, I would love to help you build a website for you. Like, you know, there's things that you learn along the way while you're failing that you can use to to build your, like I said, build your skill set and possibly build an audience and revenue. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all excellent points. Before we move on, I, I would really like to hear like uh, maybe your top three places. So you've been traveling quite a bit into uh, digital nomad. What, what are like your top three places that you've been to? Say my top three places, I would definitely say I love Chiang Mai, Thailand, just for the, like the startup, not startup, but like the, the broke nomad mindset of like, <laughs> when you're there, people aren't really trying to party. They're there to work and they're there. I think with a sense of like, I'm here to learn and I'm here to network and I'm here just to get, get things that I'm not here to like drink or party or, or hook up. Yeah. I'm, I'm just here. And so I really like that. And for me, that's kind of going to always be the place that if everything falls apart, I'm flying there and I'm going to make it work with no money type of thing or, or try and leverage my past experience. So I, I really love Thailand. Spent a lot of time in Mexico just because of time zones. We're like working with certain clients and just during COVID the last year or two, Mexico has been the, the country that's kind of always been open. Uh, and specifically in Mexico, I love Mexico City. Just a great balance of different cultures and the vibe in Mexico City is, is really, really nice. And the third place, I'm still kind of figuring that one out. And so I'll, I'll leave that one to be determined. Sure. Awesome. No, I appreciate that. Over to you, David. So Reg Reggie, do you have a home base? Are you kind of bouncing from place to oh, place? I'm homeless. I'm homeless as hell. Yeah, I'm homeless as hell. And I try and keep everything liquid. I have been moved. I've been living out of backpacks since I was eight years old. My parents were divorced when I was eight and I switched houses every week. And then I joined the military at 18 and was always moving around, went to military university, always moving around, nuclear missiles, officer, underground, underground for half the month. I've always been out of bags. So I'm kind of used to it. And for me, like I can find my foundation anywhere as long as I have a few principles set up throughout my day. And that comes to like having a solid routine. Right now where I'm at in my life, I don't want to put down deep roots. I want to keep things liquid to keep opportunities a little bit more flexible for, for how I pivot. Very cool. I want to go down this tangent. So mention routine. <laughs> can we, can you talk about your, your routine? Yeah, sure. I, my routine's definitely like changed over, over the years. And I think driving all the way back down to mindset, when I was trying to build a successful business, when I was trying to fire the man, I realized maybe after a solid nine months of losing a lot of money that it probably wasn't the business model and it probably wasn't the tactic or the course or whatever it was. It was probably my mindset and routine. So I, I had to dive into like journaling. So I've, over the last seven years, I've been trying to find a journaling process, took a lot of courses, literally everything, the routine, everything. And I've actually come up with a journal that I've been working on. I'm so proud of it's It's saved my life and I know it can help a lot of other people. In that journal, I actually have, I actually have a routine section. And one of the recommendations I, I say for having a routine is like, at least take care of like fundamentals that work for a lot of people. And that normally is like, for me, it's like when I wake up in the morning, I do some kind of process. And that for me is a nice hot shower. Some people like a cold shower for like body and doing all this kind of stuff. Right. Then I normally find some place of like self-reflection. And then from there, I knock out the most important thing in the day. And that sounds super basic, but that is what I think is a pretty fundamental routine that I've seen as a as a theme, a common theme across a lot of other people who build routines is to have some kind of like nice, slow morning where you kind of like relax into yourself, relax into your intuition and your feeling, goal plan, focus on the most important thing, and then take action. So I could go into like the kind of like tips and tricks that I do for myself. As crazy as now, I'm like, I grab water and I pour water in and I set an intention. And the reality is like, you build whatever routine you want, what makes you feel good and what what's kind of making you, what's, what fills up your cup and what gives you energy and what drives you towards focus, That that's a great routine to follow. And you know, inside of this productivity thing, I also just recorded a course that I, I'm working on uploading right now. In there, I, I literally put the full stack from breaking a vision down all the way down to a goal, down to a daily page with flexible time boxing. I call it all the way to a routine and self-reflection. Um, you know, it really is 
in my opinion. Like there isn't one thing that will, that will lead to a successful routine. I break my routines to this day. I don't know anyone that follows routine day in day out like a freaking robot. And, and but we break routines, and uh, I think it's okay to break routines. But that that's generally my process. My evening routine, in case you're wondering, it's literally almost the same thing. It's like, hey, let me drop back into myself, but let me reflect on my day. Let me reflect on my goals, the people I've come across, my emotions, my feelings. And then from there, I'll try and do some kind of like grounding exercise or just kind of like relax and, and take it nice and slow in the evening. And like it's for me, I even have like a checklist where it's like locked door because I, I travel a lot, right? So I want to make sure my door's locked. Like I want to make sure my phone's charged. Just like basic things like that. That kind of helps set me up for success the next day. Like making sure that when I wake up in the morning, the place isn't a mess, you know, and that kind of thing just clears my head subconsciously for setting my day up. So nothing, nothing too crazy. Very nice. I, I find that a lot of successful people have a routine. And I also find that I would say a majority of people don't have a routine at all. They're flying by the seat of their pants. They're reactive, not proactive. And it seems like that's where a lot of anxiety comes from is just not having a plan. And oh, so totally. I, I like like hearing about other people's routine. I also have kind of a morning routine. And, and so it's always nice to hear from other people. So anyway, thanks for letting us go down that tangent. So so you are currently running your own e-commerce businesses. And curious, what, what are you focused on in 2023? If you want tips and strategies on how to start, grow, and monetize your business online, check out the Digital Revolution podcast with Eli Adams. We interview digital experts from around the world that share their personal stories. They talk about what they're currently working on and where they see the future going. But most importantly, they share tactics in their specific area of expertise with the hope of helping you improve your digital presence online. You can listen to the Digital Revolution podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, or simply click on the link in the show notes below. My main focus, to be honest, is continuing to operate. So make sure that I can always be an Amazon operator first. So I'm still launching new products right now. I'm, I'm optimizing a current supplement that I think is going to do really, really well. My top competitor does a million a month in revenue. So I really have my... <laughs> My, my work cut out for me. I did that with a product launch of 15 grand and I'm profitable right now, but I'm getting ready to scale that up. So that will be in terms of my operator focus. That'll be my number one focus. In terms of what I'm doing other than that, is I really want to build a personal brand. So over the last nine months, I've been building out course library to try and put everything that I know and have learned from selling online all the way down to that mindset, right? With journaling. I spent way too much time building out the back end of this funnel, probably over nine months making courses, making a journal with a, with a course and you know all these different things. 2023 will be where I flip it and I start trying to build the opposite end of the funnel, which is build that audience and, and draw them down into the funnel. The goal of, at the end of the day, helping that other entrepreneur that in and, and the worst parts of their life when they weren't weren't journaling when they didn't have that system and they felt like they needed that $10,000 course or that $2,000 mastermind to reach a level of success. I wanted them to be able to, Hey, Hey, Reggie has this thing for like close to nothing relative to its value. I want to be able to give that to them. And then if, if that works out, what I'm going to do is peg portion of that revenue to charity, of course, to creating income for my business, but also as a bonus for the VAs that I, that work for me. So that's kind of been, that's like my two-part focus for 2023. Very nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I like how you're down in the trenches. You're, you're doing the day-to-day, -day, you know, grinding as an operator, and then you're, you're sharing with others, you know, what it took you years to learn, which is, mm -hmm. allows other people to kind of skip the line, you know? Yeah. So at, you, you mentioned you're in the supplement space. That's a, that is a pretty, pretty competitive 
space, from what I hear, I'm not in the supplement space, but from what I hear all, all of our friends in the network, that's cutthroat. You had mentioned you're refining one of the supplements. So as you, let's get into like a little bit of like product research. How do you enhance your product? How do you stand out? How do you, how do you make your product better than your competitor that's doing a million a month? How are you doing that? Yeah. One of the things that I teach in my course, and I just had someone from another mastermind ask me this question. There are so many different ways to, to stand out and select a product. The way I fundamentally think about it, and I, th- I think it's, I really think this is truth, is that people hate hearing basic answers, but I realize people who, who aren't success, successful and continually ask these random like types of questions are normally the ones who, who haven't internalized it right? When you're not successful on Amazon and it's, is your differentiation strong enough? So the stronger, your stronger, your competition, the stronger your differentiation needs to be. So when I look at products, all I look for is differentiation. I don't care what the market looks like, how many reviews it has, none of that. When the business I ended up selling, the average reviews that I got into was 3000 for top, top seller had 3000 reviews. And if I just went by like classic, like product for, filtration criteria, I would have, somebody would have immediately just looked over that. Additionally, when I was consulting for one of the top aggregators and I stepped into their space and operated their number one brand, I thought to myself, well, crap, well, how do I, how do I operate in this niche, this multi-million dollar brand in a beauty category, like skincare and rang true to me again, you have to find that level of differentiation. Every single marketplace, every single niche will evolve. What the water bottle search engine result look like, looks like now is not what it looked like five years ago. And it's not what it's going to look like five years from now. So I, I really try and identify how can I enter a niche, strong enough differentiation to take up page one, position one. And if I can't do that, I move on. So if I want to find, if I want to, as maybe as a new seller or someone with a, a lower budget, I want to enter niches that I can find differentiation that, you know, I don't have to maybe do a new mold. I don't have to go and build some crazy thing. It, it, that differentiation should be strong enough to pierce through the market, be on page one, position one for long enough to make money and then hopefully exit in the long term. So really that 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 focus on, on differentiation and there's all different ways to find differentiation. The one way that I love to do it, and it kind of comes from my dropshipping background when I was trying to dropship. Someone had told me, hey, just go to your local store and, and look at products. Well, I took that to the next level. I went to all the major stores, Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Bed Bath & Beyond, like <laughs> all of them. And went through every single aisle, every single product, and I looked at every single one of them and I asked myself, what is this product doing better or how are they differentiating than the other product? And when you do that, it takes five or six hours, a couple of weekend trips, you know, sure. but when you do that and you take notes, by the time you're done, that muscle is going to be like super next level. You're going to be able to look at it at a niche and be like, oh, all I got to do is turn this to silicone. And, and next thing you know, like I, I can provide differentiation that way. I can magnetize it. I can collapse it down. This product is exactly the same as the other product, but the branding is, is different. And it actually matches the target market here. The, the statements that they use on their packaging to get into Walmart, they're on there for a reason. So let me look into those reasons why. And that's kind of putting those two, two things together. I really think starts to reframe how someone looks at product selection and can really provide fundamental principle knowledge for to allow them to achieve success. I, I really awesome. like that. And it, you gave a couple examples of like collapsible, foldable, stretchy, s- silicone. When I think of an Amazon listing, there's a couple, just a couple spots that you can really highlight your product, right? You got your images, you got your title in bullets, which I've paid attention to my own online shopping. And I'm really not spending a lot of time reading bullets. But we we certainly as a company spend a lot of time keyword optimizing them. And so say somebody finds that point of differentiation, how do they advertise that? How do they put that out there in terms of like images or tips or tricks here? Yeah, uh, I think the first one is to make sure you find the right 
point of differentiation. You know, so if you're selling in a, an all male niche, it doesn't make sense to make one of your points of differentiation to be pink. So uh, that comes down first. There's there's like product market research. There's product research and then there's market research, right? So we we want to make sure that we're doing both at the same time. If we're doing our market research correctly, we should be able to identify what people care about in the market. So how they describe how they describe their their pain points, like their experiences, and then mapping our differentiation to that. So an example, I'm trying to think of an easy example. An example would be hard to carry and use or heavy to carry and use. So a point of differentiation, like going back to foldable could be light and foldable. If I looked at a niche and I saw a bunch of reviews or experiences that kind of talked about that, my point of differentiation wouldn't be to make it pink. It would be to make, to try and drive that differentiation to, to solve that problem. And once I solve that problem, now the two are aligned. I also want to know what priority is important. If you look at any niche on a product level, you'll be pretty quickly, if you really do your research, you'll be able to dive. I normally choose five points of differentiation, and then I try and order them by what's most important. Once I create that point of differentiation, I know now on the product level uh, for water bottles, it might be capacity. And I don't know if it is or not. It could be water bottle capacity. I want to make sure I drive that as probably my first bullet as maybe like a small sentence or half sentence in the title. I want to make sure that my first or second image clearly demonstrates that more than it being collapsible, if capacity is being the number one thing. So I think priority Prioritizing your differentiation and making sure that's mapped to the market. Let the market drive your points of differentiation, not the other way around. And then from there, it becomes easy. It really just becomes like, okay, I only have, like you said, five bullet points. For me, I try to make those five, those five points of differentiation. I normally have four to five images, you know, a minute video or so to talk about what I need to. And I, I just really just map it on there. And then I try and like, like bullet point five may just take up a small portion of, of the photo or the video, but it's bullet point one, that high point of differentiation. I just put that basically everywhere. And I let that point of differentiation, those five points of differentiation turn to my copywriting and those copywriting turns into a story, which turns to my images, which turns to my video. And it really, it starts with market research and it bleeds all the way down into your video. I like that. That's, to me, that sounds like a system or a process and that's something that's repeatable and easy to follow. Sorry. Really like yeah, it. Totally. I need to teach VAs, uh, which is really nice. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's get into efficiency and optimization a bit. I know we're we're coming off a a pretty interesting year where you know freight was incredibly expensive, and then it kind of tapered off. It looks like the forecast where we may be heading into a recession in the U.S. And so, what are some ways that you know you do to optimize your business in terms of I don't know F, anything FBA fees. Anything on the PL, how to cut expenses, increase profitability, any tips and tricks there? Uh, not really. I've just been trying to launch more. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, obviously, like, you know, uh, w- one of the biggest problems that I've realized most sellers come across or aren't aware of, at least, you know, having been in the game and being with other entrepreneurs trying to find success, so many times we hold on to a dog product or we hold on to closing off that opportunity of launching that next product. So the way I say it is you're really only one product launch away from changing your life forever. If that one product isn't working, there's no point in like beating PPC dry or over-optimize your listing. If you could maybe liquidate that or draw it back a little bit or double down on your product research and spend another month trying to find that point of differentiation and launching that next product, that's kind of how I'm trying to, I guess you could say, focus and optimize. Other than that, I'm really watching my PPC spend because PPC, you know, the Amazon opportunity people say are just kind of dead. And I don't think it's dead because products, the product life cycle will never end. You know, people will always continue to make products and with that will come opportunity. So it's never going to be dead. But what is definitely going on in my experience is a really, really PPC competitive market. So I'm really watching my PPC and I'm launching slightly differently depending on the editors that I'm going after. Before, a lot of people would do PPC kind of this like wide cast. We're going to spend a month casting out PPC keywords. We're going to spend a month optimizing 
Then we're going to spend a month doing uh, scaling and, and growing or cutting costs and stuff like that. Now I'm kind of going after thematic PPC investing. So I'm looking for buckets of keyword landscapes in my niche and then creating keyword campaigns relative to the risk and my the phase of, of my launch strategy. So if I'm in uh, the example I always give in my courses is the Mr. and Mrs. Muggs niche. It's primarily a, a, a wedding niche. Okay. I would probably make a keyword campaign specifically for weddings instead of just being like, you know, automatic campaign, hundred dollars a day. I'm not going to go and do those anymore. I'm going to like keep it really nice and focused and watch my ad spend, watch my conversions. I'm not going to wait a week to optimize. I'm going to look every single day. Very nice. Let, let, let's dive into PPC a little bit more. It's something that I, I love talking about. And I think one of the reasons I really like talking about it is, gosh, it never seems like you master it. It never seems yeah. like you've, I've never felt like, Hey, I've arrived. ACOS always seems too high. Conversion rate isn't where you want it to be. You know, you've got cost per click that's changing, changing with the seasons, especially we're seeing that in, in Q4. And so, you know, average order value, there's there's so many different metrics. And so when you're looking at your, and you can't really focus on them all because you'll drive yourself nuts. And so oh, yeah. when, you, when you're looking at your PPC, you're trying to understand like the health of your campaigns. What are some metrics that you're looking at and really focusing in on? Yeah. Yeah. I guess to kind of answer your question, I'd love to give a little bit of a backstory. So I, I started seriously started e-commerce dropshipping and that came from a Google ads background and Google ads is a hell of a lot more mature than the Amazon PPC side. So I've, I came in with that knowledge, having succeeded, succeeded on Google ads, tried to come into Amazon and gone to a space where nobody was running PPC at the time. Not nobody, but very few people. The narrative at the time was PPC doesn't work. Does it work? You know, like now it's like PPC, PPC, PPC. So I've seen the Amazon PPC market evolve over time, right? And it seems like every month they launch, they have a new way of optimizing, a new conversion, new to brand, whatever it is, like some kind of new conversion point. So when it comes down to focus, I think it really comes back down to principles. And the one thing I always say is principles over tactics. Once you understand the principles, you can operate in any environment. So it's a little bit hard to talk real principles on a podcast. But the one thing I could say is understand where you are in your market, in your in your launch phase. If you're launching, you're trying to take market share, right? So if you're trying to take market share, it's probably going to come at a cost, not at a profit for, for most products, unless you have such amazing differentiation that you come out of launch and you're profitable, that is possible. But if you're in a launch phase, your PPC is probably going to be more of an advertising spend more than a profit spend. So you're probably looking at different metrics. If you're looking at scaling your profitability, then you're looking at different metrics. But I would say overall, no matter what, the two metrics that I love looking at is total weight costs. So that's a percent of your advertising spend across your 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 entire revenue. So like how much am I spending on PPC and how much revenue am I making, which includes organic sales? Because that can kind of, for me, that's a, a meter that I look at. If, if my A cost is really, really high, then that means I'm spending a lot of advertising dollars to get a, to get a small amount of organic traffic. And I, I'd be willing to do that if, and this is the second thing I look at, the two most important metrics that I look at is total A cost and daily profit over time. Because if I'm profitable over time, then that means that my brand and my product is growing. I don't care if I have 3% margins if I'm making $5 million. So like your profit matters. Sometimes we look at a cost, we look at total, total A cost and we drive our total A cost down. But by doing that, we decrease our market share because we lower our organic sales and we're lowering our daily profit. For me, it's like keeping an eye on daily profit to make sure over time I'm profitable and then keeping an eye on my tacos because then I know where I'm at, where I'm at with that risk tolerance of either spending more on advertising and if, that, if I'm okay with spending that, that money to, to increase my revenue and my market share relative to my, again, my profit. So I hope that kind of made sense in terms of my, the way I think about it. Absolutely. What, what would you say you're targeting for tacos this year? Profitable. <laughs> yeah. Probably the same. Yeah. yeah. yeah same. Yeah. <laughs> 
I like yeah. sometimes I look at my PL and it's like, gosh, we spent a lot on PBC and I feel like I just bought scratch off tickets. Like, <laughs> like sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but like we're just the reason I ask, we're targeting between 10 and 15%. We've cut ad spend back a little bit this year. We've seen a little, little bit of a bump in organic. We were seeing some like tacos in the 20s. And again, it depends on the product and purchase price or whatever, but we were seeing some cannibalization where our PBC percentage of sales was very high on PBC. And as we cut ad spend, we saw our, our organic go up. And just like, it, it's one of those things, like just when you think you've got it figured out, you have right. a, a crazy week or a listing right. gets shut down and it messes up yeah. all your data. And, and so yeah. I... Yeah, just curious. Yeah, I, I've I've totally been there. You know, I've spent a lot on on PPC myself personally. I've been on the front end and the back end of PPC agencies, and literally, like when I was working for some of these big aggregators, seeing behind the lens, and nobody knows what, in my opinion, nobody knows what they're doing. And every single you could have, you think you have PPC figured out, and you're like, oh yeah, I did it. You know, so my business did this and that. I work for this agency. I manage this. Client, I've done this revenue, and then you enter another market, and you're like get hit in the face with high A cost. You're like, I thought I knew what I was doing. Yeah. Right? So it, it's the way I see it, is that way I try to explain it to people is PPC is a chess game. A keyword keyword is is a chess game, but you have thousands of keywords, so you're you're playing these chess games on all these. You're playing a thousand chess games at once, and the market is always evolving. You always have people coming into the market, leaving the market. You have black hat tactics happening, white hat tactics. People don't know what they're doing. So they're, they're just burning through PPC. You have aggregators now in the space driving up PPC costs, right? So like it, it really is changing. So what I really like to do is just focus on the fundamentals, what I don't know what I'm doing. And that has always kind of saved me. It's, it's, it's always saved my ass. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, okay, I'm spending too much money. That's not relative to my risk, my reward. Okay. You know, and you can always launch another product. You can always liquidate inventory and, and get started on the next thing. But yeah, I think, I think I, I really love the transparency that, that you have to say, like, just when you think you have it figured out, we don't. And I think that's true with everything in life. So, and I, I really like that, that you, that you're bringing that transparency to, to people. And cause I, I think it gives them a, a reality of like, Hey, don't, don't expect to come in and be at 10% a cost and expect to be profitable. Maybe in the first month or two, be because a lot of that narrative has been pushed for so long that when people get in, they get demotivated so quickly. And it just, it just leads to like depression or just like a really frustrating and like a demoralizing way of running a business and, and setting up, trying to set people up for success. Yeah. Last thing on PPC, and then I'm going to kick it over to Ken. I want to give you a shout out. So I reggieyoung.com slash Amazon PPC calculator. So you have this tool on your website that I was really nerding out on earlier today as I was getting ready for this. It's It's got a lot of, a lot of these topics that we're talking about. I think that's a great learning tool to understand how how cost per click and tacos and ACOS all interface together. And so great learning tool. Also, like I was plugging in some stuff from our own campaigns. It was great. So awesome tool you have there oh, to our listeners. If you're driving, keep driving. We'll post it <laughs> in the show notes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and one thing, if you want to mention, you know, since we're wrapping up PPC here, I do have a bunch of courses on every aspect of, of what I've learned. I will give like a free nugget, reggieyoung.com forward slash PPC resources. And they are like a link to some of the, like the templates that I use when I'm doing things out, some of the software that I recommend because I know it's like a question that you you asked. Right now, I really like, everyone knows about Helium 10. Obviously, I love Helium 10. Carbon 6 suite tools. I've been acquiring a bunch of tools over time, but I've been using PPC Entourage since before Helium 10 was a thing and Carbon 6 acquired them and they have a great team of people there. Really great team and, and I really like their tool as well. They're probably the most advanced PPC tool, at least in terms of experience, I think is out there. But the reality is a lot of these tools are becoming very, very similar in terms of their function. At the end of the day, a tool is just, it's just a tool, right? You put you put a hammer in the in the hands of a, a construction maker or like a construction person who like builds homes, they're going to build you a great home. But if you put it in front of like a chef, they're probably not going to make the best home for you. So a, a tool can only get you a small proportion of the way. Yeah. 
Absolutely. It's a good analogy. And I, I definitely agree. We're, I think we're seeing, we're in an age now where I think carbon six is an example of this. We're seeing a lot of outside investment come in. And, uh, you know, we saw over the last two to three years, we saw a lot of aggregators swooping up FBA businesses. And now I think we're, we're seeing a lot of private equity come in and, and, and realize that, hey, these, these FBA businesses are sometimes complicated and hard to run. And these SaaS tools are, there's a much better roadmap for those. And, and so I think we're, we're going to see some of that over the next 12 to 18 months, more consolidation of tools, which I think is great because we'll, as operators, we'll probably get better access to more tools and, and, and things like that. So that analogy, I also like, you had mentioned keywords were like playing a thousand chess games at one time. And I think that's very true. And if you, if anybody listening has ever watched the Queen's Gambit, it, that's what that's what that analogy made me remember is she's playing a thousand chess games in her head at one time. And so, but that was pretty cool. I know there's a question. Um, David's got a mindset, so I'll save that one for David. I ask one last question here on cash flow. It is one of the toughest things that as an operator in the FBA space, as we're growing businesses, you know, as you as you launch your first product and then you scale to six figures and then you go from six to seven and then seven to eight, the cash flow problem never goes away. It just gets larger. And so what do you suggest for, you know, anybody that you coach or anything, how, how to manage cash flow? Is there any, any tips or tricks on what to do, what not to do, where to get cash from, things like that? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, of course, you can grab funding, which I've never really been a fan of unless you're profitable. But even then, like most people who are profitable don't want to get funding. That's something that I've failed at in the past is when I was super profitable, I didn't go out and get like lines of credit. Uh, and I wish I had done that at the time because it's the easiest way to get money is when you're making money. So that's that's one tip that I wish I knew earlier. But in terms of cash flow, like, you know, the, the standard one is easiest one, I think, is to obviously like get a lower product cost, but you don't want to do that at the cost of your quality. Supplier terms of me, for me, have been the, the biggest in terms of inventory, the biggest way of, of trying to make cash flow easier. So that can be as easy as like, hey, you won't you start with can I lower the product price? Right. You can of course you can increase your MOQ, lower the product price. Supplier says, no, we can't do that. Okay, can we store it in your in your warehouse for one month? Okay. Like, will you put us at the front of the line? Will you give me instead of doing 30% down and 70% on delivery? Can you do 10% down, 30% when it gets on the ship, and then the rest when it gets delivered? So, like that kind of helps with cash flow as well. But none of that matters if you have a bad product. And none of that matters if you have a bad product. If you have the if you have a good product, for some reason, everything works. PPC works, listing optimization works, cash flow works. The product that I ended up selling was a $3,000 investment. And I turned that to over $800,000 in profit. And the num- well, I think one of the number one reasons I was able to do that is because I chose a product with extremely hard ROI, right? We have profit margin, ROI is return on investment. So that's how quickly can you turn over your product basically. So if you, if you have, a, if you're doing, if you're choosing a product that is constantly being bought, that, that means that when you put in your dollar, it's going to get purchased much more quickly. And then your return on investment, the higher it is, the better. I would never recommend getting into a product category that has less than 150% ROI. Thankfully, the, the product that I had, the ROI was 1,700x return on investment. So it was 27,000% ROI in terms of the, the initial investment I had on. The per unit ROI was about, to 250, 260% ROI after PPC. So I, I really just had really dived down on product research because when I had no money and I was like, I got one more product launch to go or I got to save up six months because I can't launch a product. I asked myself, hey, what's the 80-20? What's the one thing I can do that I can make useless? And it was right now, get really good product research, right? And that's when I was like, so that's when I was trying to internalize differentiation and understanding my market and doing all the things I talked about before. You do that right, everything else just kind of falls into place and it's just beautiful. That's awesome. So just to recap, because I, I like all those suggestions, one is negotiate better terms of supplier, try to go for cost, 
costs first and then better terms, which really, really helps with cash flow. And then the second one was essentially your inventory turn, making sure that your inventory is turning over quickly so you can make those dollars work for themselves. So uh, excellent. Uh, I really like those. Over to you, David. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on one. So you admit you had talked about ROI. So 150%. So that just for our listeners, that would be say a product you source for $10 and sell at 30. Is that how you're... I'm so bad at street math. So Don't worry gonna... about it. Don't yeah, worry I about need... it. Yeah, same. Spreadsheet. You know, the ROI is new. The way I think about ROI, new minus old divided by old. That's the way I internalized it. But I, that could be percent. Uh, but it, yeah, I, I literally just Google the thing ROI. I have a calculator. And this is why like for me, like I love numbers, but I'm really bad at, at like math and science, but I love spreadsheets. So I, what I did is I built out this insane spreadsheet where I literally just put product opportunities and, and it balances like, is it giftable? What's the ROI? What's the contribution margin? What's the estimated ad, daily ad spend? What's the unit sold? What's this or this? And it spits out a final score. So I honestly can't car- calculate ROI right now. I've had a long day, so I apologize for that. But I just use a spreadsheet and I like plug in numbers and I hit enter and it racks and stacks all my opportunities. And that's actually how I was able to find my winning product is instead of like looking at five products and trying to make it work, I came up with a system where I literally like looked at a few products. I had like a hundred products on a, on a Google, I sorry, 150 products on a Google sheet. And I just had like a bunch of like calculations going down. I hired a virtual assistant to go through and scrape things like BSR, scrape average revenue, scrape reviews, do all those types of things. And then they were able to put that in the sheet. I racked and stacked the opportunities by a score out of a hundred. Then I looked at the top 10 and I was able to take out of 150 products, best 10 products. And out of those 10 products, I dove in. I spent hours and hours and hours looking at how could I make product that has 3000 reviews? How can I make this a winner? And when I was able to find that, boom, I launched the product PPC launch. Launch, no black hat talk tactics, page one, position one. It all worked out because I had chosen a product from the best of the best, filtered it down, had had great ROI, you know, did a great PPC launch and it just had, I had the market fit to the differentiation and it just, it all shot straight to the top. And if, if you break those, any one of those fundamental like principles, I guess you can say, you immediately take a massive step back and that's when you're fighting this uphill battle. And that's where everything seems hard. And, and I've been on product launches since then that where I didn't do those things and I feel the uphill battle. Right. And I, I've been on product launches now, like the supplement I'm, I'm doing now, I literally did everything right. And I'm still in the uphill battle because my competition is so fierce and my differentiation is not strong enough. So I'm like, oh, you know, so how, how else can I do these things? So for me, I, I realized I failed my last product launch. One, I do have a smaller budget. I have a 15K launch budget for a competitor that's doing a million dollars a month in revenue. I was probably a little bit too lack of humility in terms of my, my skill set. So what I realized now is like, okay, I, I have a close enough market fit, but not completely. So I'm doing a massive rebrand right now and I'm hoping that will work. If not, then I'm just going to have to be okay with a smaller profit, but it won't be like this this big thing that I'll be able to sell. I'm just going to have to move on to the next product, which I might have to do. And I'm, and I'm okay with it because I'm, I'm used to it and I'm only used to it because I created the emotional strength to be like, okay, it's not working. Let it go. Let me hit the next opportunity because very few people hit a home run first time at bat. I am glad that you're saying that. Because I, I can tell you in my personal experience, if I launch 10 products, two of them are probably good. Three of them are okay. And five are duds. And that's something like, and we've been doing this for a while. <laughs> and so it, it's, yeah, sometimes, yeah, things don't pan out. And, and like you were saying with the ACOs, where people go in and they get discouraged. You know, that's one thing when people are like, I launched one product, it, it didn't work out. And so I stopped selling on Amazon. It's like, oh, you're just getting started. Like in that, that happens. There's a hundred percent guarantee. If you do this long enough, you're going to launch a bad product. That just doesn't oh, yeah. 
It just doesn't work. And you're going to have 10,000 of them in your basement. And, and so I appreciate you saying that. So, which leads me into my next question. Let's, let's chat mindset. Something I've podcast I've listened to you on, uh, something I've heard you talk about quite a bit. My first question is, is this something that you believe you're born with? or develop? It's something that you develop and that you choose to adopt. I, I inherently believe that because I was the laziest kid you've ever met. Absolute laziest kid you ever met. I just took, for me, it was just like pain and frustration of, and I realized now I'm just not doing, not realizing one, identifying what I love. And I'm so thankful I found like my obsession, my passion, which is business. Some people may, may be Amazon sellers here because they want the financial freedom to raise a family, to have, you know, whatever that is. Right. And I think only when that happens, do you make the decision to be like, Hey, this is so much pain that I need to do better. I need to do better. And when you make that decision to do better, it's just, in my opinion, it's just about learning and momentum learning and momentum. So like I was to the point where I couldn't even get out of bed at some points, even, even when I had all the drive to go and like, oh, okay, like, yeah, I want to build, you know, burning all the ships, but I just got done with a failed relationship. I just got done with a failed launch, worked kicking my ass. I'm broke as hell. You know, where's the motivation then? Where's the routine then? Where's this and that then, right? So it even got to the point where I made a Spotify playlist Shout out to my Spotify playlist, region.com forward slash motivation. And it got to the point where if I hit play and shuffle, I swear after 10 minutes, I was up out of bed and I was like working, you know? So like find systems, find hacks, find, put them in your life, put them in your life in a way where you kind of have to come across it. And for me, that can be as easy as like setting alarm twice a day, one at 10 a.m., one at 4 p.m. And that's just, am I working on the highest thing or the most important thing right now? You know, am I happy and how do I adjust? Like just something like that you could do right now and set it for like infinity, right? Like doesn't repeat daily. And I guarantee you that reminder is going to put that little push in your life that that may just create that momentum that you need to keep moving forward. Okay. Okay. Very nice. Now, now for somebody, say there is a lazy kid listening and, and, he, and he wants to improve his mindset. As you've been wor working on, on developing your mindset, have there been any books or podcasts that have really stood out and, and help you advance? I mean, we all love the four-hour work week. I mean, the, the four-hour work week now is it's like, I think it was made in 2007, it's a long time ago. So a lot of like the e-com tips and tricks are going to be, are going to seem super basic to someone first reading it. But the beginning portion of that book, he really hits on a lot of principles that I think help break the programming of an employee. And, you know, things like, hey, like you don't have to respond to every email, <laughs> you know, like, like random things like that. Like not everything is that your boss tells you is important. You know, or what's the 80-20 rule? Like what? You know, because employees are like, everything is important. But like as an entrepreneur, everything's actually not important because you're the one man shop when you're starting out. You gotta you gotta prioritize things. So in terms of books, like that's kind of been that I haven't read that many books. The books that I have read that have been impactful have been Deep Work by Cal Newport, which is basically like, hey, create a scent, create deep flow and defend it at all costs. And here's some foundation works and how you can do that to Tim Ferriss book, the four hour work week. He does have like, literally it's like one or two chapters in there. They're just like absolute gold outside of that. It's just, it's just a, Hey, ask yourself, Hey, are you okay with how you're living right now? Are you okay with how you're living right now? Ask yourself that deeply. Are you okay with how you're living now? And are you okay living that way for the rest of your life? If you're okay, fine. You don't need to grow. You, you, you don't need to like push yourself. You don't need to be uncomfortable, but the more you can be uncomfortable, the more you can decide that this is not enough for you that you want more in life and that the pain isn't enough, pick yourself up and, and just get to work. And if you can't do that, regyoung.com forward slash motivation and hit play. And I don't know about, about them, but for me, I can't listen to that thing for more than 30 minutes and want to get to work. It's just me personally. So hopefully that helps. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, very nice. Ken, anything else you want to touch on before we uh, fire around? No, I'm I'm good. And for, for everybody, every guest we have on the show, we have a fire round where we, uh, we run you through the ringer. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, hit me. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite book? My favorite book 
is called Mastery. I don't know. It's just like this guy who he look has this long beard. <laughs> I forget the name. It's literally called Mastery. I was, maybe I'll try to send you the link. But that that book made me like rethink a, a, a bunch of things. It's nothing to do with business at all. It's called Mastery. I think it's it's based on in terms of religion. It's most closely related related to Sufism. I'm not a Sufist at all, but I just I found it the book very interesting. Kind of started this process of, of where I am in terms of mindset years ago. Uh, even though I don't fully align with it. Awesome. That's a new one. What are your hobbies? My hobbies, it sounds super lame and probably fake, but entrepreneurship, uh, I'm always building something off to the side. I, I, I realized a long time ago, once I graduated university and once I had my first failed business, that video games, which used to be my obsession and passion, when you turn them off, you're left with nothing. You're left with nothing. But video games piss me off just as much. I don't know. <laughs> like <laughs> that boss beat, lost that one thing, you know, but it never paid me and it pissed me off just as much. And when I, when I build a business and that becomes my hobby, it's like you can actually give yourself the opportunity to change your life. So I'm always like, you know, like I, I built this journal, like that's, that was like the hobby I was doing instead of watching Netflix. Don't be wrong. I still watch 10 minutes or 30 minutes, maybe when I'm eating dinner, just to kind of like try and fully unplug, but I'm not watching eight hours as my hobby. I'm not doing these other things. This entrepreneurship, unfortunately, but thankfully for me is my hobby. Uh, that's awesome. What is the one thing that you do not miss about working for the man? One thing I do not miss working for a man. I would say maybe more than one thing, but working when I want, what I want, on what I want, wherever I want. You don't get that working for the man. Working when you want, on what you want, wherever you want. I don't know a job that, that allows that. Yeah, I, that's a good answer. Last one. What do you think sets apart successful e-commerce entrepreneurs from those who give up, fail, or never get started? Well, the fact that you said who give up, fail, or never get started, I normally would say people who fail, who quit, right? When you quit, that's when you actually fail. But And it's the reason why, and it's, I'm so sorry for plugging this thing in. I literally make 20 cents when somebody buys this. So this is not about money. It's journaling because journaling has some type of self-reflection process and it has some type of like slow down, get into like your body, like follow your intuition, do a little bit of like 80-20 rule, Eisenhower matrix, whatever. And then let's, let's list out your goals. Let's take action on them and let's reflect a little bit. And I think the people that do that give themselves the opportunity to pivot and move direction and uh, create momentum in their life. And I think I, I, I think it's journaling. That'll be my answer. Cool. I like that. Awesome. David, over to you. Close out the show. Absolutely. Want to thank you for uh, being a guest on the Firing the Man podcast. If our listeners want to get in touch with you or see some of the resources that we've talked about today, what would be the best way? Yeah, the easiest way would go to regyoung.com forward slash firing the man. From there, you'll you'll basically redirect it to my vault. And my vault in there was my promise once I sold my business that I would put everything I knew behind a course library with, I had literally have a ton of courses, resources, not just Amazon uh, to help people legitimately start, scale, and sell their online business. And if for some reason, you're not really ready to spend $18 for an amazing amount of value, you could click the free pop-up and get uh, my free course and free downloadable like course content PDF, which has so much value in it. And it literally will help you with any stage that you're at. Most people really love the Amazon launch checklist and the coupons that are in there. Very nice. Very nice. Well, we are going to post links to all that in the show notes, but thanks again for being a guest and uh, looking forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Everyone take care and best of luck. Before you go, we wanted to share a new service that Ken and I have been using called Getita that has made us over $10,000 in Amazon reimbursements. The service requires no monthly subscription and Getita collects a small percentage of the money they recover for you. It takes less than five minutes to set up and works on all Amazon marketplaces. Go to getita.com, G-E-T-I-D-A.com and enter promo code FTM400. That's FTM for Firing the Man 
400 to get your first $400 in reimbursements commission free. How much money does Amazon owe you?